podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. Pretty early in the morning, Hanlon, right? Bright and early here in New York. Yeah. Be here Hanlon and I both look like we sort of had an early morning to, to rush ourselves <laughs> to this show. Um, but for one of us, it is an early morning for Hanlon. Uh, for me, it's not. It's uh, just gone half past one in the afternoon. But I was up all night because of um, Zverev and Sinner um making uh, life difficult for themselves and for anybody uh trying to tune in uh here in europe but we'll we'll come to Zverev and Sinner later on uh Hanlon you've been at the U.S. Open quite a bit in the last few days um how's it been yeah John I've been here um I think five of the last six days so I got here last Wednesday night and then I've been every day since Sunday um I'd say overall it's been great there's been just it feels like there's a renewed sense of energy and enthusiasm just among American fans with all of the momentum and the the players and the prospects that we have in the draw here. Um, and I think from a fan experience, that's been really exciting, but it's, it's also been noticeably, noticeably more crowded, which I'm, I'm sure you've seen people talk yeah. about on Twitter or just, you know, around tennis media conversations. Um, so that I think has had a little bit of an impact on the fan experience, just as far as the grounds passes go, but overall it's, it's been a great event and just a lot of exciting storylines i think in the men's and women's singles and doubles fields if there's a sort of sort of two angles uh that i think you've touched upon already regarding the the fan experience i've uh, seen and, and and i'm aware of a lot of people very pumped for tennis very pumped obviously now we've got no covid restrictions left um uh, much to uh, novak djokovic's pleasure of course <laughs> but also the fans too but on the flip side, um, the other narrative is that maybe they're selling a few too many tickets. I know that Paris, for example, has cut back this year to try and increase the fan experience. Where do you stand on this spectrum? I think, yeah, it's a it's a delicate line. Um, but I think you need to have some type of middle ground where you can still, um, yeah, the fans who, so the fans who are there, you know, they leave happy and have a good experience. I want to come back next year, but I don't, I, I think it, it, it's felt, especially during the first couple of days, it felt a lot harder to get into, um, you know, big matches on grandstand or Louis Armstrong or court 17, any of those, you know, second tier stadiums on the grounds mm -hmm. without waiting, you know, multiple changeovers or, or longer. Um, so I, I think they, yeah, they need to find some type of sweet spot. I don't know numbers wise what that looks like, but, I do think it needs to be managed a little bit more tightly just so that the fans who do come, you know, have a great experience. 
I wonder if that's why they they put the prices up quite a bit. I'm I'm pleased to see Jane, who's a New Yorker, in in the chat already because I know that she was put off by the prices as well for some of the grandstand passes. Um, have you been to Wimbledon, by the way, Hanlon? I actually went um, on a family trip 20 years ago in 2001, Ooh. and we yeah we queued in line. That was like my first tennis event to go to. Oh uh, wow! We, we did the queue and and you know did the whole experience, but we just went for a day as part of like a, a bigger trip we were going on. So I definitely want to go back sometime soon. Do you remember um, a match or a player that you saw that day? I, yeah, we saw um, Leighton Hewitt and Lindsey Davenport play back-to-back on court one. So that was really exciting. Um, and then I remember seeing Emily Merezbo as well. Oh, wow. Three massive yeah. figures within the sport. Um, was, and Leighton uh, Hewitt was good Leighton would go on to win Wimbledon himself. Um, because that was also the year, of course, that, that Sam Press... Uh, lost to Federer, or Federer beat Sampras, perhaps I should say as well. Yeah, that was definitely, um, I think it was an exciting event to be in. That was kind of what got me hooked on tennis to begin with. Nice. The reason I mention it, though, in relevance to this uh, conversation is because actually I'm very familiar with waiting in long queues and experiencing uh, multiple changeovers before getting in. In fact, you kind of have to weigh that up. As you're, as you're waiting outside. And I'm not talking about court one, of course, and, and center court where they're sort of ticket only affairs. You know, I'm talking court 12, court 15, whatever. You're, you're sort of constantly kind of playing this game of trying to work out where you can go. But anyway, listen, uh, pros and cons, um, uh, fingers crossed they they get it sort of bang on next year. Um, but um, there has been a lot to be very enthusiastic about if you're an American tennis, tennis fan this year on the court, uh, Hanlon. With, of course, we've got Tiafo and Shelton and Coco Goff. Uh, Peyton Stearns, of course, doing well. Madison Keys as well. Um, and I may even be missing one or two players as well that at least made the fourth round. But um, let's... Taylor Fritz was another one. Taylor Fritz, of course. Yes. Um, his sort of path has been a bit understated, perhaps. But um, we'll, we'll perhaps come to that as we look ahead to the day ahead. Um, in a way, but a lot of positives for American tennis. Do you know why we're sort of seeing a, 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 a good period, or is it just law of averages says that American tennis is always going to be back one day? I think it it helps that you have a lot of these guys who are the same, you know, around the same generation that are pushing each other. I know you know people talk about that a lot, but it helps to have that that mutual uh, the peer accountability and and also motivation when you see you know one of your close friends or, or um, good patriots doing well, then obviously that's going to push the rest of the guys to do well. So it's nice that they have, you know, this pack of Tiafo, Paul, Shelton, Eubanks, Fritz, um, you know, everyone who's kind of coming along generally within the same time frame. that they seem to be a tight knit group and they're pushing each other every slam. Um, and I think just the depth is getting better and better, but we're waiting for that one, one person to break through and, you know, hopefully win one. Yeah, indeed. Well, uh, let's stick with the American theme uh, and let's begin with Jessica Pagula against Madison Keys. I've kind of <laughs> lowered my tone a little bit, not because there's a lot, you know, Madison Keys is a fantastic day for her and we will come to her second. But my initial thoughts on, on this match were, um, did Jessica Pagula turn up? I know there's a narrative that's been building with Pagula like there is with Rublev and to a lesser extent with Sabalenka. What am I talking about? Sabalenka, it's semifinals with Rublev and with 
with Pagula, its quarterfinals. Um, and I know I've said this before on, on this on this show where it's like, I don't think Jessica Pagula wakes up on the day of a quarterfinal and goes, oh no. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder if that when it does get to the big occasion, and yesterday was the big occasion for her, um, whether there is a sort of a tim- timid timidity, if that is even a word that sort of comes over her. And the reason I use that word in particular is because she hit, I think, six um, uh, winners yesterday uh, in, a, in the whole match, one of which was an ace as well. So I just wonder if perhaps, and I saw her looking very glum going off court, and we're going to talk about her doubles as well a little bit later on. So uh, there's still some, uh, you know, positivity regarding Pagula's career, of course. But um, where are you at with the Jessica Pagula Grand Slam pursuit story? Yeah, she's she's a tough one to tough one to crack because I I saw her, I was in Ash on Saturday when she had her three set win over Svitolina, and I I thought she looked better than ever, especially in that third set. She came out really aggressively and just just took the set from Svitolina. Won I think six two in the third, pretty straightforward. And then um, the matchup with Keys, I was like a little bit worried about because you know how. Anyone who's followed Madison Keys can be, you know, she can show up any day and, you know, beat anyone in the draw. And that's what she did yesterday against Pagula. And Pagula just seemed kind of flat. It reminded me of other Grand Slam performances earlier this year when she lost to Azarenka. She just, she didn't have the, just that look in her eye that you've seen her when she's gotten through some of those tough three set gritty victories. Mm-hmm. It just didn't seem like she, she showed up mentally. And honestly, I don't know that there was much that, she would have been able to do with the way that Madison keys was playing like that. Um, and I think, you know, when keys gets on a roll, she, like I said, she can beat just about anyone in the tournament. I just, I'm for keys's standpoint. I don't know that she'll be able to sustain that level for the next few rounds. I hope she can't, it'd be great to see her, you know, play well and, and win win this event or when, you know, a grand slam in her career, but um, the way that we've seen her in the past, she can zone for a few matches and then usually, runs out of steam the, the train can get off the tracks. And I think Von Drusova will be a, a difficult matchup for her. It will. Um, I will probably just touch upon a bit of positivity as well, though, for him that Von Drusova uh, had one or two issues physically yesterday. We'll probably. Oh yeah, that's a good that. point. Yeah. We'll touch on that shortly, but, um, but um, yeah, bigger picture stuff regarding Madison Keys and Jessica Pagula. Well, first of all, I think it's been a, a very, very good year now for Madison Keys with the Wimbledon run and, and this run coming back to back. Um, but the the sort of damning stats that I can, you know, you can just have a look at immediately are one hour and one minute and winning just four games. Um, the roof was closed. Um, maybe Pagula was affected by that. I know um, some people on, on uh, certainly Damien amongst uh, the Talking Tennis team felt that that, was, that impacted the, the nature of the match. And of course, Pagula had a bit of misfortune at Wimbledon this year when she lost a lot of momentum, I think, at 4-1 up in the third uh, and threatening to get a double break before then um, uh, obviously losing that match to Von Drusova with the, with the roof closing then mid-match or mid, mid-set, mid if you like. So perhaps she's been a bit unfortunate at such crucial junctures in those slams. But, um, I mean, the likelihood to win beforehand, according to these stats here, was that 69% for Jessica Pagula. That's how I thought too. That's what I was thinking. I thought I thought Pagula was going to break this sort of quarterfinal curse and get to the semis here, uh, where she probably would have run into to an unstoppable uh, Sabalenka. But... Um, yeah, um, I'm, I'm a bit concerned now with Pagula. And there's another player that we're going to come to shortly as well who's at a similar juncture in their career where 
you know, this Grand Slam pursuit, which it is. I, I know a lot of people say, listen, it's a great tennis career if you win a 250 or 500 or you just make the top 100. And I, I completely agree with that. But I know that Jessica Pagula, Andre Burr, Andre Rublev as well, they all have slightly bigger ambitions than just sort of staying around the top 10. Yeah, that's a good point. There there do seem to be several players right now that are in the kind of on the outskirts of the, the top three or four in the men's and women's games, like Pagula and Rublev and Ans, who are just struggling to get over those those mental humps later in, in slams. And um, yeah, especially once, you know, once Iga lost, it seemed like it was, it was Pagula or Sabalinka's event to win. If anyone or Coco, I would, you know, would have put the three of them probably as the next tier of yeah. favorites. Um, so I think this, this one's definitely going to hurt for Pagula, especially being on, on home soil. But um, I'm interested to see what, yeah, what happens with keys and Von Drusova, if she can, if keys can, keep up this level or if Andrusova is going to be too, you know, too clever and crafty for, for Keyes' game style. Indeed. I think it will be interesting. That's a, a perfect segue to then move on to uh, Peyton Stearns against Von Drusova. This is possibly the match I can probably elaborate on most, uh, partly because I, uh, not only did I watch it from start to finish, there were other matches I was covering quite intensively, but some were a more inconvenient time to, to keep across them. Um, but yeah, so Vondrusova Stearns. Stearns comes flying out of the box. She is loving this cross-court exchange with the with the lefty forehand from Vondrusova coming to her backhand on the rise, and she's hitting it early, and she's hitting it sweetly. And, and that was pretty much the case for the entire set. She did get an early break with Vondrusova breaking back, but it was sort of a bit more of Vondrusova just taking advantage of the moment and perhaps showing some of her big match experience. Um We'll we'll elaborate on sets two and three in a second. But what do you know about Peyton? And because and, Tom, I must be, be honest. Before this tournament, I didn't know a huge amount about her. She, yeah, she, um, you know, was an NCAA champion from the University of Texas. So comes from a really good collegiate program in the U.S. Um, and I I got the chance to see her play in Austin at the ATX Open, the new WTA 250 event earlier this year. Um, she and Katie Balter had like a three and a half hour match. Um, it was it was a pretty epic, epic matchup and funny that they played here again at the U.S. Open. But I, yeah, I've, from what I've seen and heard about Peyton Stern, she's a, a huge fighter. She's you know she's battle tested coming from the the collegiate system, having you know won and played so many matches. And her forehand it reminds me of of the Jen Brady's forehand almost, just that really heavy heavy topspin forehand that I think gives a lot of people um, a lot of people fits on the women's game who let who typically prefer that flatter ball. Yeah. Um, and, and she was taking it so nicely on the rise. And there was a moment though, in the tie break um, where it was four, two to Stearns at the change of ends. And uh, the next point that followed ended up being Von Drusova's last point in the tie break. And I saw her hit a forehand uh, cross court winner to make it 4-3, and therefore we're looking at... Uh, I mean, I was actually thinking at 4-3, I'm thinking, I think Von Drusov is going to get this now. Um, but the, she then sort of clutched at her, what appeared to be her shoulder. Uh, I, I'm now aware that perhaps the issue is a bit lower down and it's the elbow. Um, she then seemed to consume something, I'm presuming a painkiller of, of some nature. And the next few games were a bit of a battle, but you could see... Um, that she sort of had come out the other side, at least in terms of 
this match that she was probably going to hang on in there and she probably thought, I'm just going to knuckle down and get through this and we'll evaluate the the body, um, if you like, um, in the coming hours. Um, give us some thoughts, though, on Von Drusova and how she's backed up her Wimbledon run. I've been really impressed with her since Wimbledon. I think, you know, over the last five to ten years, we've seen, you know, WTA players who are first-time slam winners really struggle with the pressure of of backing those results up immediately after a slam. And it, while she hasn't won any big titles or anything since Wimbledon, she's it seems like she's had a really consistent summer and been winning multiple matches at each event. And just, you know, it doesn't seem like, at least from the outside looking in, that the pressure has has impacted her as much as it has with other first-time slam winners. And granted, you know, she hasn't gotten the attention that, say, Emma Raducanu did a couple of years ago. So she maybe she hasn't had to deal with a lot of the the pressure or the, you know, the Emma Raducanu level attention. Um, but I know that was also a unique situation. But I think overall, I've been really impressed with Von Drusova and Mukova since they've uh, they've had their big summers at Wimbledon and then have, have backed those results up mostly um, on the U.S. and North American hard courts. Me too. I'm glad you mentioned both of those players because, of course, they're both Czech. But, um, but yeah, um, both having excellent Grand Slam runs and obviously Von Drusova ending in in winning Wimbledon. Um, and I think partly what you, you I understand what you're getting at with with Von Drusova as well is that there was a shock element to her run, very different to the Raducanu run. But it was like, oh my goodness me, that I think she could go on and win this thing, and she did. Um, but then there's also a feeling and a, and a concern, like with Raducanu, where you're thinking. You know, it might be a couple of years before we see something similar. It might be never again um, with, with both of those players for very different reasons. But with Andrusa, it's like, uh, you know, that was her moment and she had to take the, make the most of it. I know she's been in the Grand Slam final before. But for her to back it up with a, with a quarterfinal run and perhaps even go beyond is, is very impressive. I think Peyton Stearns, as we're looking at some of the stats here, um, the serve perhaps was an issue for her in, in, uh, in the end. And there was a lot of breaks of serve throughout the match um, as, as the ebbed and flowed. And I do think that there was either, it was either a level thing for Peyton that she just couldn't maintain that first set level, or maybe she was a little bit distracted by some of the things in terms of the the issue with the, with the, with the health. And she was pulling the trigger a little bit early, particularly towards the end of the third set, when I think that she just wanted points to, 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 to be done, if you like. And, and um, yeah, her timing wasn't quite there. And, and I'm not sure whether that was the, the occasion and, and maybe seeing a, a quarterfinal in sight or, um, or just, just basically, you know, running out of, of steam. But she's had a great tournament okay he has and i think one more thing on peyton stearns too it's, cool. it's pretty impressive that she's i think this is her first full year on tour and she's already after this event i imagine she'll be like within the, the top 40 maybe or top or i think she was in around top 50 top 60 before the us open so she's had a really steady consistent climb too i think she's going to keep keep going so it's exciting to see just another american tennis name climb up the rankings and add to the depth there's a, um, there was a sort of at times when I was watching her yesterday, a sort of Kenin vibe with her. As oh well. yeah, she does. Yeah. She has like that fighter, kind of the street fighter scrappy mentality that Sophia Kenin has too. I think she just, she seems just like a, a gritty competitor. So I'm interested to see how she, how she yeah, handles just the rest of the year now that she has more of a target on her back after this event. Okay, on to Jabur Kinwen Zheng. Uh, Kinwen Zheng winning this one uh, six two six four. Um, 
What I said during the match uh, to to Nick, who I was talking to throughout this match, was that although it was a, a comfortable win on in terms of the scoreboard for for Zheng, and and although Jabir certainly had issues, particularly on the backhand side, and unfortunately there were just way too many uh, errors coming off the racket of Ons. What I found with this match was that each game. Justin as an entity was actually really exciting and kind of lots of knife edge games, even if it was 15-40 or 40-15, just because of the inconsistency, even off the, the racket of Zheng. And also she was really struggling to get first serves in. I think overall her first serve percentage was 40% of, of getting those percent points in. So even at even at 5-2 to, to Zheng or 5-3 with a, with a double break, I think it was in the second set, 5-2 with a double break that Zheng had, it was still like... If Shen gets, if Jabeur gets one of these breaks back, and she did, um, it was still sort of felt a bit like on a knife edge more than you know when Novak's up two sets and a break, or mm. or, or we think of, of Serena in a similar situation, you know, uh, or, or or Rafa or any of these 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 figures in the sport, um, or perhaps even you know even even a Yannick Sinner is is up you know a couple of sets or Zverev, you, you you sort of think oh well that's done and you switch over. I didn't quite feel that with this match, and and that's hats off to both players. Yeah, I didn't see a, a ton of this match until the very end. We were watching, we were sitting outside um, mm -hmm. of Arthur Ashe and watching it on the big screen. And I, I agree with you. It seemed like Jabor was was giving her, you know, giving her every last uh, every last bit of fight there at the end. And once I, I saw her fight off, you know, her first match point or two, um, and I was just you know glancing at it here and there while talking to some people. So didn't see the whole thing, but it definitely um, it seemed like it, you know she could have she could have turned things around quickly. She could have done. Um, uh, we'll come to Zhang in a second. Um, but first of all, Jabir. Uh, I mean, it, it does sound like a broken record when I was talking about Pagula. Of course, Jabir has been much closer to that elusive Grand Slam. But uh, with both at similar ages and, and um, you know, both just falling short in, in, in different ways. Um, with, with, with slams that pass Jabir by, and of course she had a lot of issues in this tournament. I don't know if you saw her in any of her previous rounds, but uh, unfortunately she was having some physical issues. I certainly, after the first round, very openly, basically, this was a big struggle for me physically today in terms of, of illness, etc. Um, that may have got gradually better as the tournament come, went on, and maybe it was just an off day yesterday. But what are your thoughts on, on Jabir at the moment? Yeah, she just hasn't really looked like herself since Wimbledon, and I know, um, I know that she was struggling with, like you said, with maybe physical or other issues earlier in the tournament. But it just seemed like she hasn't really had that, the light, carefree, playful, you know, minister of happiness, as she likes to describe herself. That um, that you know mindset that everyone you know knows and, and loves her for. So I hope she's mm -hmm. um, able to, you know, get the get the Hans magic back sooner than later but i worry that you know she just has a lot of scar tissue from from wimbledon still and she you know she likely will carry that with her but it was i think encouraging to see her fight through a lot of tough wins um mm -hmm. this week too even it, you know even though she fell short yesterday i think hopefully she can take some confidence knowing that she um you know she had some some pretty gritty three set victories here even though she wasn't playing at her best so you know hopefully that'll that'll help carry her forward the rest of the year Hanlon, there was a theme during the first week of, of players being ill, Dominic Team, Rusevori. I'm aware of the fact that they were different ailments, apparently. I mean, I, um, um, from what I understand, certainly from, from a member of, 
of, of someone who's close to both Emil and Ons had said to me that they may have both been ill at different points or, or during the first week, but they were very different illnesses. But has there been, you know, are there people on the streets and, and other people at the US Open saying that, that we're all feeling ill? Is there a flu bug going around or, or am I getting carried away? Um, that's a good question. I'm, I'm not sure, to be honest, but I have heard a lot of people like just talking about it casually or seeing things going around on Twitter once, you know, um, you know, John McEnroe wasn't able to commentate because he caught COVID oh. right before the U S open. Okay. And then some of the players like withdrew for different reasons. Um, so it seems like there's been like some, some silent or some less, you know, quiet, um, chatter going around, like what's, what's, you know, surely something's probably floating around the grounds right now, but I don't think anyone has, has necessarily taken it, um, seriously or done any, you know, any testing or anything to my knowledge, but, um, maybe we'll find out something after the event. Who knows? Um, uh, we've, I've did a video last night actually on Kinwen Zheng. So make sure, uh, people in the, in the chat, check that out. But I, I was, um, pretty impressed with her possibly even more than than the people I spoke to about her that were sort of saying hold on a bit because I did think she was pretty impressive yesterday first serve percentage apart um she was hitting the lines and and I am tempted to sort of say that that she has arrived uh, that's sort of the question I posed to 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 everyone really in a way and I'd um, love to uh, hear your thoughts um on on Kim Wen Zheng Han and I mean she's been somebody that's been there or thereabouts in a way on the tour that every tournament we go into a big one is this going to be the moment that she makes it to the second week or the quarterfinals and and yesterday she did yeah this is a big moment for her I think she's been hyped up for it seems like for pretty seriously for the last couple of years so uh but maybe hasn't really had the the massive breakthrough that um especially on a big grand slam stage recently like like many have expected of her mm -hmm. so i really like her chances um especially now with you know working with Wim Vizette. he's obviously a very proven wta coach and has had a, a quite a successful track record so I, okay. I would suspect the two of them to be um you know a very good good partnership moving forward nice um sort of a transition from the women's to the men's in that we had the uh Two of the big fish uh, in Sabalenka and Alcaraz, both winning comfortably, but in in, in actually quite different manners. And uh, one of them was just like, I'm world number one and I might be here for a while. Um, I do think that the matchup for Sabalenka against Kazakina uh, was quite favorable. Kazakina won three games and only one of those, for example, was on her serve. She was actually doing okay on the Sabalenka serve. Um, partly because Sabalenka, Sabalenka didn't throw in too many double faults. I think it certainly uh, towards the end of the match, it was just three and it may well have stayed at three, which is fine for, for, you know, for a match, but they did all come in the, in the two games that, that, that she was broken in, but bigger picture regarding this match was just that the power of the racket of Sabalenka. I'm not sure anyone would have lived with her yesterday, but maybe Kazakina was, was, uh, unfortunate to be in the headlights. Yeah, that does seem like a very tough matchup for Kazakina. Yeah. We uh, we were watching some of that on the big screen um, outside of Arthur Ashe last night, and every time I looked over, Sabalenka was just clobbering a serve or clobbering a winner one you know one direction to the next. Um, so I, I don't think yeah. I mean, I love Kazakina as a player, and a, a, her game style is so refreshing to watch. Yep. I think she plays a lot differently than most of the the top WTA players, as as we all know. But that certainly against Sabalenka is, is not her best matchup. 
So, uh, as I said, Carlos Alcaraz also progressing. And, and if you didn't watch the match and you just went, okay, yep, straight, 6-3, over over Arnaldi, that's possibly the way you would have expected it to pan out. The third set, uh, Arnaldi actually, I think, was up a break before Alcaraz got the back-to-back breaks. Once Alcaraz got it back on serve, I'm going to say around about 4-3, 4-4 uh, in the third set, it was like, oh, okay, Arnaldi needs to watch out here and needs to make sure he holds serve to try and at least potentially force a tie break uh, probably the bigger picture though here with with Carlos and, and I'm, I'm not 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 saying we should be super concerned but if if you are a Carlos fan it is probably something that that, that fans do get preoccupied with is that the strapping on one of his legs uh, appeared, to, appeared to be more obvious yesterday I noticed it very subtly uh, one or two rounds ago and I was wondering if um, that may impact him at some point in the tournament um a lot of people were telling me that apparently it's something he's pretty much had on throughout the summer and so no big deals but but it was getting larger and i think he even unwrapped it and 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 rewrapped it at one point yesterday and i do think his movement may have been a little compromised but maybe he was just taking it easy in the match um carlos's progression to the quarterfinals uh, and perhaps beyond has been a lot less dramatic than last year uh, which is the good news um, where were we at with Carlos in this tournament? Have you managed to catch him at all? Well, I, I, I'm glad you asked because I did um, I did get to see him on Saturday against Dan Evans on our Ah, draft. that was a great match, I, right? It was. It was a oh, really I enjoyed match. it. It's fun. Yeah, it was fun. And I, I was debating whether I went with some friends who aren't is aren't necessarily tennis fans, but they wanted to go to Arthur Ashe and see the experience and see Alcaraz. So we had seats in the upper section, which I usually wouldn't want to um, sit in because they're so high up. But Alcaraz is is a player who you know now that now that I've seen him live, he's he's somebody that can, I think, really wow the the audience no matter where you're sitting, just because his game is. I mean, he's electric and, and from an entertainer perspective, but his game is just you know he's incredible. Uh, and and credit to Dan Evans too for really putting up a good a good show and and winning that third set and you know battling yeah. Alcaraz to four. They had some just incredible points, um, but it was yeah Alcaraz just looked looked better than ever that match. So I, I think he, um, I know some of his other matches have been a lot more straightforward, but that was probably good for him to have a little bit of a test there in the third round. And hopefully that'll, um, you know, help him get through his next one, but we'll see how he, I think he's going to have a really tough match. Is he plays Zverev, right? Yeah, he does. Yeah. yeah. Um, That'll be, that should be a good match. Yeah, it shall. Um, Zverev uh, went five sets last night with, with Yannick Sinner. Um, this match, though, was was possibly a tale of, of physical battle as much as it was um, in terms of winning points and point construction. Uh, hi, Jethro. Evans versus Alcott is one of the most enjoyable. Listen, Jethro, you and Jack are on this train, and I think Hanlon... By the way, I'm guessing Hanlon as well is because for you... As as a, as a tennis, you know, big big tennis person, but even also being with friends that are less so, you, you're you're all going into this match to watch him against Evans, and you're picking that one out because it's like, I want to see this guy uh-huh. in the flesh, right? Yeah, and we we bought Arthur Ashe tickets like several months ago, so it was just we lucked out okay. big time that we were able to see Alcaraz. But I was also I was pleasantly surprised that it was as competitive as it was because I I just expected Alcaraz to kind of roll, roll straight through him. I know Dan Evans hasn't had a very good year up until he um, won the title in DC. So it was, yeah. it was great to see him, you know, put up a fight, like I said, but Alcaraz just I think no matter who he's playing on Ash, he's, he's going to put on a good show. 
Um, I'm I'm not sure where what Evans thinks of Clay, but I did, uh, and and there's a there's a reason for this sudden uh, you know tangent with with Clay. Um, Alcaraz said um, that his least favorite surface right now is, is clay. Now that may well change in about seven or eight months if he goes on to to uh, to, to get the clay court slam and, and get the surface slam. Um, but um, the reason why I'm also bringing it to this is I actually watched Evans play Alcaraz in Barcelona earlier this year, and that was pretty one-sided for Alcaraz on that surface. And so I was a bit concerned that we may see a similar situation, particularly if if, if Alcaraz is slightly better on a hard court. But um, uh, and Evans is okay; he's had some good clay results. Certainly, I mean, even that tournament beating Sarundolo, but also in the past beating Djokovic in in Monte Carlo. So I was a bit concerned going into this match. But uh, as you say, Alcaraz has this ability. By the way, I, I think you or I could play Carlos, and he might make some points very exciting somehow, and still win them, of course. Oh yeah, he he would probably drop shot and lob us the whole time and just string us around like a little yeah. uh just like a little cat we would be puppets on a string i'm pretty sure so mm-hmm. alcaraz tick uh sabalenka tick as well um both go on and 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 actually they are my two picks for the tournament and i'm not going to change my mind uh, yet but i'm probably a little bit just not quite sure about Alcaraz with that draw because he has got to play Zverev next. I, I was not quite sure before Zverev and, and Sinner played which one would be the trickier one. Um, the the sense afterwards is though that perhaps because Zverev and Al, uh, Zverev and Sinner pushed each other and, and and both were really struggling physically in the fifth set. Sinner probably more so with cramps, but there is an argument perhaps that that neither as a result were likely to maybe push. Uh, Alcaraz, if if those physical travails continue into you know two days from now, yeah, I would I would you know expect Alcaraz to get through that, but I you know depending on how Zverev recovers physically, um, it, I can see it being like a really tight maybe four set match, but I wouldn't I wouldn't expect it to be to go to five, but maybe I'm wrong. Yep, we'll see. Um, Sinner Zverev, the story of this match. As I say, probably physically, there were, uh, I think there was, at least off, off memory, every time I kept seeing longest rally of the match, longest rally of the match, it was always 14, 16, 17 mm-hmm. shots. You know, it was never like, wow, 32 shot rally, blah, blah, blah. Um, so that's partly it. But that obviously doesn't quite tell us the story because there was lots of juices. We had an early break, I think, for Zvedev. Sinner gets it back. And once Sinner got it back on serve, I was thinking, okay, I think Sinner's now going to just just move away. There was the matchup issue beforehand and the head-to-head, many of which were suggesting that would favor Zverev. I was still going with the, I just think that Sinner here in New York, his run last year, I think maybe New York will be the, the slam that gets him. If he, if and when probably he wins his, his, his grand slam, I just think it might well come in New York as opposed to the other three locations. And I just thought this is, this is, Sinner's domain, Svedev, I still don't think he's quite at the pre-injury levels that he was showing before he got injured in the French Open last year. So I was still backing uh, Sinner. As the match panned on, Svedev snatches the first set. Um, sec- by the middle of the second set, so not too far into the match, but we are over an hour. So even though those points were short, the games were long. The The service um, you know, time for serving was was being maximized by both players. And Sinner did actually, by the way, say something to the umpire at one point saying, hey, keep an eye on 
on um, on how long Zverev is taking to serve, which is interesting because at that point was in the fifth set and Sinner was really, really struggling physically. It was Sinner who seemed to falter first. And I think we're all looking at Sinner going, oh no, is he going to have to retire? Is it going to be an Alcaraz-style collapse like we saw it, uh, from Alcaraz in, in the French Open? And so we were so preoccupied with that for a couple of sets and and um, that we didn't quite realize that actually Zverev was struggling too. And it really did become a war of attrition. Yeah, I I didn't see uh, the the last two sets. Just it was it was kind of late, and I went to bed. I think, but I remember Sinner uh, was cramping. Was it, he was cramping pretty bad, like in the second or third set? Is that right? Yeah. And then it looked like I, I just assumed that Zvera was going to run away with it once he got the the third set and was up two sets to one. But glad to hear that Sinner, you know, made it still made it more of a fight. Yeah, and it was still a tough, a tough loss for him. Yeah, yeah, I I I think. I think with with Sverev's maybe scar tissue, perhaps it might have been a deeper cut for 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 Sasha, but it won't be an easy one for for Sinner. And I think the without the cramping, I'm I'm tempted to say that we might have seen a different result. But there we go. Uh, Sinner will have to wait at least a few more months as he tries to win uh, his first Grand Slam. But Zverev goes on to play Alcaraz. Um, uh, we'll probably chat about that matchup maybe tomorrow. Is that it, that will be obviously uh, coming up tomorrow? Uh, we had Draper against Rublev. Draper's run comes to an end. Rublev, uh, perhaps I've written the word endurance down uh, with this one. In that, I think if it ever did go beyond three sets, probably uh, Rublev was the more likely winner. Any thoughts on either player's um, passage in this U.S. Open? Yeah, it's good to see Rublev in another quarterfinal. This is you know as we all know where he uh, where he you know he. He's usually a consistent bet to make it to this stage. Um, I don't like his matchup with Medvedev. I, I think Medvedev mm-hmm. has a definitely kind of has the the mental um, edge over their their friendship and rivalry up to this point. Um, but you know maybe he can prove his wrong this time. I think he's is he zero and seven in quarterfinals or zero and eight in Grand Slam quarterfinals. Oh, in seven, but if it's not, it's oh and eight. But um, uh, it's very much in that area. I mean, like I say, it's sort of Pagula, Pagula-esque, and you know, I think maybe even one, one or two more than Pagula actually. Yeah, uh, Medvedev has looked really strong, so I would, I would suspect him to get through that. But uh, also a great result for Jack Draper. Um, I haven't seen, gotten the chance to see him play a ton, but wasn't he injured before this? And so this was a big, a big result for him at a major. I mean, Jack has had a year where he plays Rafa in in Australia and he, he, I mean, that was such a close match. It could have gone either way. It was four sets win for Rafa in the end. But I think even in that match, in the fourth set, Jack was just starting to struggle with with one or two physical issues and Rafa took the most of it, made the most of it. Uh, and really since then has really struggled. He had to skip Wimbledon and, and, and had a lot of issues. So this run kind of came from nowhere uh, i say that one um i do know uh, one or two people that or i know one person in particular mario tipping him to get to the quarterfinals here so that was a good call even if he didn't quite make it that way and i, I as jethro says um it's interesting he says top 15 as well because that is that is the sort of area people are sort of sort of a bit wary of going top 10 with draper and and i think he might make top 10 um, particularly as I think uh, he can also do pretty well on the grass. So that helps that he's got a couple of good surfaces and most talented British male since Murray. I think that's probably right. I mean, there's not a, you know, Dan Evans has done a, had a great career, of course, but probably um, uh, Draper's ceiling is, is slightly higher. Uh, Rublev uh, marches like, on. And, go on. 
Oh, I was just going to add to Draper. It definitely seems like he's the most hyped up um, from, especially from the British media that they are the most excited about him than they have been about anyone's, you know, likely since Murray, like, like Jethro mentioned. Um, yeah. I'm curious why you think uh, top 15 over top 10, do you, do you see he has a ceiling like, like an Alex Diemenauer? I, exactly. I, I know what Jethro's thinking because uh, it's such a, you would never normally, you either, it's either top 100, top 20, top you know, 20, seeded at a slam, yeah. top 10, you know, or world number one. These are the, these are the, the, the benchmarks and the landmarks in, in tennis. But I think it's just because of that lack of, of, of certainty. Uh, it's not so much the ceiling with him. It's the weaknesses. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I think the forehand can be an issue with him, and, and we know the strength with the, with the serve, and, and I think his movement is pretty good. But then, of course, of course, there's the physical issues that we think will derail lots of seasons for him. I actually think that the physical issue is not. It's something I can I'm concerned about in the immediate. A bit like with with um, Holger Rune, in the immediate, in the present, I'm concerned about them but actually i think it is something that we'd need to see if it's if we're still at it and with this issue at 24 25 then it's like okay well really now you should because in tennis we see it a lot with the growing pains if you like of, of players in their in their youth and probably even a year 18 months ago we were just wondering is carlos going to be okay to do sort of five setters and well we've seen now with i think he's won nine out of ten five setters and he's won two grand slams so i think we were okay with carlos on that front but we do see it with a lot of players in in their youth i mean emma raducanu as well before the u.s open win was was perhaps having one or two issues in 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 longer matches and and i it's it's funny tennis is a funny thing that that in most sports, we just assume you'll get gradually worse with age. But actually, with, with a physical thing in tennis is that the, the, the worst and most difficult, you know, endurance moments are the beginning and the end of your careers. It's, it's in the middle where you're, you're fine. But um, you're, in your early years, it can still be an issue and it can take two, three, four years to grow out of. Yeah, I mean, that's the good thing. Careers are going so much longer now. So I, I, I heard a line from, um, I think it was after Coco Golf's match. The other other night when she played Mira Andreva and um, and she you know golf seems like such a veteran right now that she's been on the tour irrelevant on the tour for four or five years but she I think just she has a good um, big picture mindset of like every loss isn't the end of the world like you've got you know a very long career ahead of you so I think you know Jack Draper could use use the same advice like you know there's going to be peaks and valleys but the way players are playing until their mid thirties mid to late thirties now there's you know likely going to be several chapters ahead of, of their long career, hopefully. Medvedev uh, overcame Dimonor in four sets. Uh, this is probably the match I, I, I sort of had an eye on least, if that makes sense. Uh, he did lose the first set. Uh, Dimonor having a really good record over uh, Medvedev uh, uh, head-to-head. And funnily enough, I checked out, I think, Dimonor's record against one or two other players who he could potentially meet en route to, to maybe going all the way to the final, for example. And, and I was looking at his head-to-head thing, and Dimonor's got a good record against all of these guys. I think I think it, it was Rublev I was checking out um, uh, his head-to-head against, because obviously it would be potentially Rublev in the next round. I think it was 3-1 and one against him. I think it might have been 3-1 and one against Medvedev before yesterday as well. Um, Medvedev turned it around and uh, won in four sets, the hardcourt specialist. Uh, what are you making of of this narrative with with Medvedev and the New York crowd that sort of began in 2019 and has continued? And of course, he's won the won the won the U.S. Open, but even that final against Djokovic, which has had so many stories, and and given that Medvedev won it in straight sets, but there were shouts between between serves even in that match, and I know he highlighted again 
the other day. And uh, I don't know, from the outside, I just find it a, a very funny roller coaster. I, yeah, I think it's hilarious. I, I think it's it's great how Medvedev just kind of leans into the the New York chaos and and the 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 cheers and the booze and um, he's just yeah he's he's very real and raw and authentic and I think a lot of the New York crowd probably relates to that uh, or those you know those that are pro Medvedev really really can latch on to him because he just he's himself and he also doesn't mind being the the villain or the disruptor role with the you know a hint of sarcasm. Um, which is just Medvedev's, you know, in his element. So I, I think Absolutely. having a, a character like him at the top of the game is 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 welcome and, and a breath of fresh air sometimes. I agree. Um, the the Medvedev thing, I think the people in the stadium, I'm talking about 2019 here, were were probably, you know, were, were giving him a lot and then there's then it's him biting back and then then them, them giving back. And this is just sort of probably your 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 your, your, your tennis fan if you like um in in the stadium in 2019 but i think with that tournament with with the then the the stuff goes viral on social media and tennis fans the you know big tennis fans tennis nerds are, like, are loving all this and they're going mm-hmm. okay this guy's actually quite funny that i think that that partly changed the narrative with him uh, over that tournament but even in the final against rafa i was fortunate enough to to be at that 2019 final and um he went two sets to love down but tennis fans, being tennis fans, they want to see five sets. So he was actually getting the crowd on on his side during that. And I think there was a much friendly interaction between him and the crowd after that match in, in the on-court interview. And we've had a few more things this year as well with... Um, uh, with uh, uh, he was saying something in, in an encore interview the other day about I don't know if he has a girlfriend or wife, but um, maybe they're going to struggle to sleep tonight. I don't really know, but it's yeah. all been been very amusing. Kisses being blown. Um, but anyway, Medvedev is in a good mood and um, he's into the quarterfinals where probably he will continue that run that he has over Rublev. I think he's just had one loss to Rublev, but that run, um, uh, I, I should use the word run a bit more with emphasis because it included running into a camera, I think it was. Um, uh, if you remember that fight he had with a camera on route oh, yeah. to Rublev. He's, um, yeah, I would love to see, um, I mean, it'd be great to see Rublev break through and get over his quarterfinal hump. I think it'd also be exciting to see Medvedev take on Alcaraz um, in the semi. Yeah, in the semifinals, just I think that's a, a really tough matchup for Medvedev so far. But he also loves to be this d- disruptor type role. So I think no no one would enjoy more you know being the party crasher uh, to joke a Djokovic Alcaraz final more than Medvedev would. So he Absolutely. might he might thrive in that in that scenario. He might do. I, I still think he'd probably rather play Zverev uh, in the in the mm-hmm. semis. But um, but we'll see how that pans out. Um, Medvedev as well is somebody that, um, two and a half years ago, I'll say, so the beginning of 2021, um, he was on a pretty good run. I think he just won the ATP tour finals. He goes into the Australian open. He goes into that final against Novak. And I think some people, including myself, thought that was going to be close. It ended up not being close, but the reason I'm I'm mentioning this particular period in his career, rather than actually going on to win his first slam in Nuke is actually then I remember making a prediction of going, I think this guy's going to win multiple slams. I think I even maybe a little bit optimistically thought five or more. Um, however, um, you know, he might not win another one. I mean, I know he's in a quarterfinal and there should be plenty of positivity right now, but there are, it doesn't still quite, it doesn't quite feel, and it might change in the next three or four days, but it still doesn't quite feel like the Daniel of 2019, 2020 and 2021. Yeah, I would think if I had to guess now, I would, I would put him in the, 
maybe the three to four or three to five range, like career slams, just that would be my mm-hmm. prediction. Just based, I, I think he'll be able to grab a few on the hard courts here and there over the next couple of years. Uh, once Djokovic, when, if, and when Djokovic ever, you know, starts to decline and Alcaraz, you know, I, he'll likely, you know, win a couple each year, but it'll be really hard as we've seen to, to win every, everything like, you know, Djokovic has, has been trying to do. Um, but I think it's interesting. These, the top three guys right now are all different, different eras, kind of like the, the leader of the pack in their respective era. So it's cool to see um, three guys from, you know, different ages, different eras, all sort of squaring off together in the top three right now. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, I mean, very different players in the way they play, but also very different points in their career. Um, all right, let's uh, switch Hanlon to the doubles. Um, we don't always talk about uh, doubles on the first serve or, or in its previous iteration, last ball drops. That basically we have the same show, but one is when when the when the tournaments are a slightly more friendly time for us Europeans, we we go with basically as soon as that last ball drops at the French Open or, or at Wimbledon, we go live. But we couldn't do it here just because because we we have two or three Americans that are frequently on the show, but they're all doing stuff for, for New York and stuff. So they they're obviously, uh, you know, maxed out. And uh, so therefore, I'm relying on Europeans for this show and me included. None of us want to be doing uh, a last ball drops after Zvedev and, and Sinner have gone five sets and it's 7 a.m. and we haven't slept for almost 24 hours. So we've got the first serve and we're going to have a, a, a debut appearance, at least for this tournament anyway, for some doubles stuff. What have been your doubles highlights thus far? Probably the favorite match that I've seen so far was um, sitting courtside for um, Skubsky and Kulhoff, the number one seeds on the men's side. They played... Uh, Cabal and and Robert Far Juan Sebastian Cabal and Robert Farah from Colombia, and that was the last match of their career. Um, but it was a really exciting three set match. The Colombian there's a ton of um, you know Colombian fans in New York, and I think Cabal and Farah have developed such a, a big national following throughout their career. Um, so it was it was a really exciting match. It felt almost like a, a Colombian Davis Cup type atmosphere. And knowing that they've, you know, they've been a, a partnership that has has really stuck together throughout their career, and I think they're a great example of of you know a, a good doubles team that is loyal. They they stick together and and they have a really strong fan base. So hopefully we'll continue to see more teams like that, um, you know, come through on the doubles tour because it's great for you know marketing and engagement with fans. I'm just sharing a tweet from you here with the 11 Americans still remaining in the quarterfinals in, in the various different uh, forms. I mean, Taylor Townsend is one name that jumps out for me here because she's somebody who's uh, certainly having a lot of fun with uh, with Layla and also Ben Shelton. And of course, Ben Shelton's pretty busy on the single <laughs> side as well. Um I, I, should we be worried about Ben, by the way, um, playing the doubles and the singles? I know it's 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 something that that, that fans of doubles maybe get a little bit annoyed about, and but but maybe I, I mean I'm generally a, a fan of, of thinking it's actually a good thing for for both of us. And I think you know you know your body, right? You know if you're really mm-hmm. struggling to get up and you're stiff and you're thinking. So I think I think Ben probably knows what he's at, and he tends to sort of have quite a few short 149 miles an hour points anyway. Yeah. So. Um, so I don't think he's. But what about what about Taylor anyway, and, and her ability to, to to on the double scene? Yeah, I think. Well, another I would say t- watching uh, <clears throat> Taylor and Ben play mixed doubles together has been probably one of the the best double stories of the uh, tournament too. They just 
they've lit up every arena that they've played in and just have such a fun energy and, and, you know, camaraderie together. Um, but Taylor on her own, you know, she's, I think she's won three or four different uh, titles this year with different partners every time. So she's, okay. she's established herself on the doubles court. She's got great hands, great instincts to the net. Um, she and Layla are kind of just, you know, this fun power left-handed dynamic duo. And um, I would put them, you know, I think, Taylor uh, and Layla and Coco and Jess are, would be my two top uh, favorites to win the doubles title on the women's side. They're on the same side of the draw, but I think um, either of them, you know, has a great shot here, but Taylor really knows how to engage the crowd and she's got a big fan base, especially here in the States. Um, so she's been a, it's been a great, um, just a great face to have, you know, at the top of the doubles game. Cool. Well, uh, I think that's a, a nice, happy ending to today's show of The First Serve. Make sure you hit the like button. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you check out uh, Hanlon on Twitter. Um, uh, what's your Twitter, Twitter handle? Um, it's it's Hanlon Walsh, just my full name. Oh, there we At go. Hanlon right. Walsh. Yeah. Uh, from the Tennis Tribe, as you can also see in brackets after his name on the screen there. Uh, obviously, with Will Buczek, both of them making fairly frequent appearances on the show. Uh, fingers crossed we can find time as well next week to do our sort of usual Grand Slam review of, of the doubles. That that could be cool. Um, and uh, have you got one more day, did you say, at the Slam? Are you going today? Yep. We're, Will and I are both going to go today, and we'll see. Um, we'll be on Louis Armstrong with there's the doubles quarterfinals and the mixed doubles quarterfinals and then we'll be following the singles um results on arthur ash too cool yeah i'm just going to very quickly run through the matches today uh we've got uh we're going to cover all four as well on the channel the first one up is ostapenko goff then uh, uh coming up after that uh is Djokovic against taylor fritz um there will be a, a very short video i'm going to make on that taylor fritz um, uh, Djokovic uh, match anyway, so we'll probably skip over that, especially as it's 7-0 and for Djokovic anyway. Uh, then we've got uh, Chostea against Mukova, and finally Shelton against um, against Ben Shelton against uh, yeah. Tiafo, which I think is going to be electric. Um, I, I, I just want to have a couple of words on on a couple of those matches. I think I think Coke, I think the two matches that really sort of jump out at us for one reason or another. Uh, no, no offense to to the, the fans of the other four players involved, but the Coco Goff Ostapenko match and the Ben Shelton uh, Tiafo match, I think, are eagerly anticipated. Yeah, those are those are the, definitely the two blockbuster matches, and it's it's interesting that Coco Goff and Ostapenko were a day session match. Um, I, I heard people wondering if if that was a, a request from Coco Goff's team, knowing that she likes to play in the in the heat and the, you know, she thrives like, you know, playing those type, those type of tough day matches where a lot of players prefer not to. Um, so I think that'll be a great match. And then I'm curious to see if, um, if Taylor Fritz can, can put up a good fight against Djokovic. He's, yeah. he's definitely flown under the radar this tournament because he's had, you know, a fairly straightforward path to the quarterfinals. Um, but this would be, this is a, you know, a huge moment for him as the top ranked American. Um, but of course, Tiafo Shelton is going to be the, the popcorn match tonight. And they're two players that can really put on a show, as we know. So I think they'll be a perfect uh, a perfect lineup for evening session at Arthur Ashe tonight. 
Indeed. And each and every one of those matches uh, will be on the channel. So please uh, join us for that. Obviously not not you, Will. I mean, I, I don't expect you to, to sacrifice mm -hmm. a day at the US Open to, to listen to me and some of my colleagues chat. Uh, but I'm sure you'll have a great time and, and, and say hi to Will for me. And uh, I'm glad Shrihu uh, finds my little uh, little teaser, little joke there at the end. Uh, squeezed squeezed uh, the only joke, I think, of, of today's uh, episode. And all the fun was brought to us by the players, and that's how it should be. Uh, a big thank you to you, Hanlon, by the way. Yeah, thanks, John. It was fun talking yep. uh, singles and a little bit of doubles. And um, hope to see, yeah, see you guys soon. Good luck with all the coverage today. Thanks very much. And to everybody else, Tennis World, thank you for stopping by. And you know the drill if you enjoyed this video make sure you hit that like button don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis sports social podcast network